Welcome to Risk Roundup. While the emerging technology trends seems to be both tenuous and temporary, they are rapidly becoming integrated with every component of a nation. So the question we need to ask is how we can visualize and act upon a future that is not so transparent and is turbulent. From artificial intelligence to robotics, blockchain to cryptocurrencies, internet to brain net, virtual reality to augmented reality, internet of things to internet of everything, autonomous vehicles to smart vehicles, CRISPR technology to gene editing, drones to flying cars, 3D printing to molecular manufacturing, nanotechnology to biotechnology, we are facing fundamental transformation. So as we stand upon the precipice of change and prepare for the inevitable transformation of human ecosystem across cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space, a discussion focused on the emerging technology trends is necessary for us to visualize the future. To discuss emerging technology trends further, I'm delighted to welcome Bob Projan to Risk Roundup. Bob is the global advisor to the digital economy and is serving on three UN commissioned working groups uh, selected by World Bank, OS, and APEC to advise emerging nations on fintech and regtech, appointed by US Secretary of Commerce for Trade Finance Advisory Council, and he's a frequent speaker at industry events. He's also the CEO of Financial Service Insights and he's based in the United States. Welcome, Bob. We're honored to have you on Risk Roundup. It's great to be here. Thank you. Wonderful, Bob. So emerging technologies has brought nations the most turbulent and transformative period. The changes and challenges of the ongoing technology trigger transformation are so profound that there has never been a time of greater promise or potential peril. So out of the many technological trends emerging in your assessment, which are the most promising technology trends? So uh, what we are, are in uh, right now is uh, a unique time of convergence. And so usually uh, we would have one great change uh, at a time, whether it's you know industrialization or uh, uh, the creation of the computer or creation of the internet. Um, and now we are in a time of great convergence of many uh, transformational uh, technologies happening all at once. So we now have a, uh, uh, a place to put incredible amounts of data in the cloud. We have new sources of data from Internet of Things, uh, both uh, structured and unstructured data, where we can have satellite images and images from from traffic cameras and just in uh, even our, our 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 thermostats in our in our uh, our homes in our uh, social media streams. Enormous amounts of data, and now we have a place to put it. In the, in the cloud. And now coupled with that, we have uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning. So now we have the capability to understand what's going on with all of those incredible, difficult uh, sources of data. And putting that all together gives us, as you said, uh, an incredible opportunity for good, as well as uh, a lot of uh, uh, potential for unintended consequences. Very true. So you, you're uh, you're right. There, there is a this is a time of great potential, and uh, you know it could. These are all dual use technologies. So yes, we can do a lot of good with these technologies, and a lot of bad can also happen. So understanding the technology trends 
is about preparing for the coming years. So which technology trends you think are most likely to disrupt businesses, enterprises in 2020? So in 2020, so we've had uh, the last few years, blockchain was the big thing. And now uh, blockchain is in the Gartner uh, phase of of uh, trough of disillusionment. And so what that means is that uh, actual real people, business people, technology people are creating uh, solutions um, in the background now. And it'll be a year or two or five like we saw in the cloud of hard work before something comes out uh, the other end with um, uh, the next big uh, monster app. And so blockchain, we need to keep an eye on. Um, however, in, in much more real time, uh, I'm seeing a lot more interest in artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, particularly having to do with advanced analytics um, in a number of different spaces, particularly in financial services, as well as in the healthcare space. And so we've got uh, all this new data, all these new types of data, and um, the, the math and the technology that historically has been used in um, Wall Street, you know, for example, high frequency trading. And so uh, there's an incredible depth of modeling and uh, data uh, structuring that's happened in that space that is now being used in, um, in health, um, in financial services, uh, both in the United States and outside. And now coupling that with alternative data sources, particularly in out of the United States, uh, places like, like Africa, where you know, we've seen with, for example, M-Pesa and other more mobile phone and communication-based data um, being put together with advanced analytics to figure out um, who are the better credits and who are the ones that uh, uh, should not be extended credit. Um, and then we're also seeing um, that uh, connected to uh, a very foundational question of identity. And so in advanced countries like the United States and, and Europe, um, you know, we have um, uh, the basic uh, data points for identification. We have name. Everyone has a name. And then we have an address. Um, however, once you get into Sub-Saharan Africa, for example, that second data point, address, is not something that everyone has. And so um, data point number two is where you get into trouble. Uh, and so utilizing new technology like uh, GPS or, or, or uh, chips within phones to be able to be uh, the equivalent of identities or to help with biometrics to create identity, that is a necessary and very exciting uh, component of, of, of getting this disruptive technology into um, uh, emerging economies. No, the, no, you made some really good points. Now, the point that you made about in South Africa, that not everyone has addresses. What is the reason behind that? Well, um, there's uh, um, so historically, there's um, um, uh, it's it, it's something we take for granted that there are streets and street names and um, these uh, these uh, cities, these villages, these towns, you know, have not uh, um, grown up with. 
uh, with uh, um, Western ad addressing systems. Um, and so, you know, the kind of the zip codes of the world. And, um, and so that's, you know, something that needs to uh, help. Um, um, for example, you know, why doesn't Amazon work in Sub-Saharan Africa? Because where do you deliver the packages to? Um, and so um, it's been a, uh, uh, you know, just a historical construct that needs to um, be solved. And, you know, frankly, they are solving um, um, where you can uh, identify where, where people are. You know, you also have, um, you know, migration of, of citizens due to, uh, you know, uh, war, uh, famine, uh, you know, uh, other things. So, as as refugees cross borders, you know they don't have permanent uh, uh, addresses. How do you get uh, aid and financial services and other um, uh, services to those people? And so the the United Nations and the World Bank and a lot of others have been working on how to have transportational uh, uh, identity, so self kind of self sovereign identity where I can prove that I am me based on a combination of my uh, mobile phone as well as my biometrics. Oh, that's very interesting, transportational identity. But you're right. I mean, there is a need for that identity to be solved because right now, if you see, like you just mentioned about it, that, you know, in South Africa, that there is a problem. You know, not everybody has the permanent, you know, location or... Uh, they don't even have homes. So how, where do you deliver the package? That is a big problem. And each nation, if you look at it, every country has their own national ID system. I mean, we have our social security, I mean, uh, a social security number that we tie to the individual identity. India has other ID card and, you know, uh, Brazil and, you know, many other countries, they are also moving towards a national ID system. So uh, unless we come up with a, you know, global ID system, where irrespective of where we are, you know, whether irrespective of even if we are citizen of United States, if we travel to UK or if we travel to, you know, South Africa or anywhere, that ID should, you know, travel with us. So I think what you are telling about the transportation ID would be very useful and very beneficial because you can carry it with you irrespective of where you are in the world, irrespective of what citizenship you have. So that will be very, very helpful if we are able to move forward, if the UN is able to make that happen, and that would be amazing. Uh, and the point that you made earlier about the cloud, it seems that, yes, cloud, you know, brings a lot of, you know, benefits. And if we have all those uh, different data sources that are emerging because of the IOTs and, you know, because of these increased connectivity between cyberspace, aquaspace, geospace, and space, we will be getting a lot more data. And that data, if it, it's stored in the cloud, unless, you know, another source emerges where we can store. But right now, cloud looks like, you know, where all the data will be so, stored. So, But it seems that in spite of the huge potential that we see with the cloud, it's not used effectively still, you know, by all the enterprises or the governments or, uh, you know, all the components of a nation to be able to take the benefit of the AI component, AI and machine learning to analyze it and, you know, to use the data analytics tool and get some intelligence out of it. And we don't see that, you know, across nations. Why do you think is uh, not, you know, moving forward as we would like it to? Well, I think there's a, a couple of areas, one of which is um, 
So uh, governments, in order to sometimes protect their citizens under uh, uh, the guise of that, are requiring uh, data locality so that the data must reside within um, the, the country's borders, which is uh, very difficult uh, while simultaneously doing uh, cloud computing because uh, you know, the cloud uh, you know, physically resides in uh, data centers in major locations. So if you require um, a data locality, particularly with smaller countries, you will not be able to get that in the cloud because there are no uh, cloud instances, uh, cloud uh, service uh, data centers within smaller countries. And so although perhaps the intention of data locality uh, is good to protect the privacy and data security of citizens, um, one needs to really look at the cross-border uh, uh, aspects of data um, because there are some nations that uh, require the data to stay within the country when, um, in fact, uh, some of the, the and largest and most effective um, um, fraud schemes involve cross-border data. And so the bad guys can, can share data across borders uh, easily, um, but the good guys um, have difficulty uh, to follow the rules and uh, share data across uh, across borders, even law enforcement. And so you know, we found that um, you know some uh, major banks, uh, uh, um, uh, cybersecurity uh, experts uh, share uh, knowledge of uh, significant uh, uh, issues across uh, small WhatsApp group, apps groups informally because they can't formally do it um, um, uh, now given the laws of certain countries. So mm -hmm. we need to look at what the impact is of, of, uh, of uh, focusing data privacy and data security only on a country basis as opposed to looking at a regional or global basis. Yes, no, the, the data locality, the, I mean, the, what EU has come up with, you know, for the data privacy, that the data has to reside within the country. And then, you know, others are trying to follow the same path too. That brings us, you know, both uh, uh, risk and rewards because one is, yes, you may end up getting the privacy, but the whole reason why we established the cyberspace and this digital connectivity it was the reason that, you know, we can all connect, we can all, you know, benefit from the data that we generate. And because if we have the global data, we can analyze so many things. We can analyze why there is still poverty, why there are, you know, so many problems, you know, across nations, why in spite of, let's say, you know, United States giving so much financial aid to other countries, why those countries are still poor and why the aid is not reaching the right people. So there are a lot of problems that we could solve if we have that access to the global data now if we are trying to save all that data you know keep it you know just within the country uh, yes you will uh, maintain privacy but uh, at what cost you know and uh, the second thing is that uh, even if let's say you establish rules that if you if somebody you know breaks the rule and takes the data out of the country the companies will be i think willing to pay the fine because the data that they get by you know paying the fine is going to be much more valuable than you know paying the fine. So there are still you know I am not sure whether the laws that EU has come up with are going to succeed because in current format what they are proposing is you know uh, the penalty you know if anybody takes the data outside 
that probably is not a very effective solution and nor it is you know very wise to just you know keep it in silo yes you can have a broad coalition with which countries you want to share which is fine if you don't want to share with all the countries but just not sharing with any country that is probably not the right move for the purpose that we have established cyberspace for so there are a lot of questions and you know there are a lot of uh, these events that we need to uh, debate and discuss whether we are making the right moves because uh, at the end of the day the whole reason is to connect and uh, get the intelligence that we need so we solve problems with just localization we are not going to be able to solve problems so if we talk about uh, the innovations and trends that lie beyond the tr digital front, uh, frontier that is the cyberspace what is the value of these innovations you see beyond the digital space? Because, you know, everybody is so focused on cyberspace. Everybody is so focused just on the Internet and, you know, all these technologies that we are kind of ignoring what is happening in the, you know, geospace or space or aqua space. So this is not just about, you know, the cyberspace. There are a lot of innovation happening beyond cyberspace. So what what is what? What is your observation of what the innovations, you know, are happening beyond the digital space? So uh, uh, beyond the digital space, so there's there's uh, even the, the spaces you mentioned are all touched by the digital space. And yes. so, uh, you know, for example, um, we talked about one of the uh, uh, key trends uh, in addition to cloud and Internet of Things and artificial intelligence was blockchain or more broadly distributed ledger technology and so using distributed data is actually um one of the more interesting things that uh, uh has come up recently um and touches all of the places you just mentioned because the data so for example um you know looking at um the oceans and um, the life in the oceans, particularly uh, fisheries and and uh, and uh, um, uh, sea life. Um, you know, I'm working with uh, with a, a, an organization that's using distributed ledger technology to be able to track um, uh, fish and fish catches and and who you know the kind of the whole seafood industry and how to uh, protect that in a much better way because um, having all of that data about you know, you know the ocean uh, ecosystem in one place is almost impossible and so the the data is 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 going to be distributed forever and so now looking at some of the uh, newer technologies like distributed ledger technology you can really touch on um, areas that sound very far from the digital space, you know, the depths of the oceans. Uh, but by using that kind of technology and data that is is resident on ships and um, on satellites and in, 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 in oceanographic sensors, um, that is all digital, um, but also um, so distributed as to be almost impossible to, uh, to access. And that's where I think is a good use for distributed ledger uh, technology. You mentioned in, in your prior comment about kind of having all of the data of the world in one place um, so that we can see the big trends. I think you know, we need to look at the data around the world, but centralizing that into one place you know, is one school of thought. Another school of thought 
is to continue to have it distributed, but rather than having the analytics looking at a centralized database, uh, you can now have the analytics, the models go visit the data in the places they reside in other places. That's kind of the cutting edge of looking at, you know, putting analytics on its head is rather than bringing to the, the data to the analytics, bring the analytics to the data. Oh, of course, I'm, I would never promote centralization of data because it brings a lot of security risk there. Right, but right. I do promote access. We do need access to all the data. That yes. doesn't mean that, you know, even if it resides, let's say, within those countries, the access is very important. We don't need to take the data out of the country. You know, we can keep it within each country because each country is sovereign country. So you keep the you know data within your country, which is fine. But there should be access for research purpose. There should be access for solving problems. So even if we don't give access for business, you know, and even for business, there should be access you know, for collaboration. So just closing the doors is not the right strategy, but distributed, you know, access. I always promote that we need to have a uh, distributed approach because there is no need for all of that data, everything to happen in one place because that is actually, you know, very dangerous for uh, many other reasons. So we do need to have a distributed approach, but we do need access. And that is something that uh, nations need to talk about as we go forward. Now, if we talk about... uh, intelligence i mean few years back we could achieve about a decade back you could say that we could achieve competitive intelligence by just embracing innovations and trends that are already ever underway and we can just if one is doing that then we another company can copy that and they will still be successful but today this i mean this is this would be considered a reactive approach if somebody is doing something and we try to do that it's it's considered a reactive approach and it's not enough to succeed so in a span of 10 years a lot has changed so what do you think has changed that it's not enough for any company any enterprise any business to do what others are doing and you know hope that they would succeed or they would be able to stay in the game yeah, I think, you know, that's a great question. And, and it and it gets us, I think, to kind of the big question of, of, so now we have all of this capability that we can do, and some countries are using AI, uh, cloud, uh, Internet of Things, uh, unstructured data. Um, and we've got now the, the, the issue of big tech in the United States as well as around the world. And... So what should the rules around utilizing all of this new capability be? Because as you mentioned in your opening uh, remarks, that you know, these technologies can be used for good or can be tempting uh, for uh, 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 unfortunate purposes. Um, and so uh, to get to the question of, so how can we uh, bring all of this forward for good and not for uh, uh, bad purposes. You know, I think we need to really look at the at the framework and the rules of the road for um, having access to all the data you just mentioned, and what we do with that. You know, there's uh, uh, in, incredible amounts of good and convenience that can be done with technology, for example, like facial recognition. However, you know, facial recognition can also have a darker side where it is used uh, uh, to overly police or to invade uh, personal rights. 
and you know there's you know uh, countries that are are uh, very advanced in that space that um, are effectively using it to control their citizens versus others that are making it uh, uh, just more convenient to get into airports. And so um, uh, facial recognition is an excellent uh, uh, example of where we need to um, really figure out as a, as a society, as a global society, um, what is uh, the right use and what is not the right use for some of these technologies. Yes, and it's becoming very challenging to define those uh, boundaries or rules because uh, if you see, it's not just uh, the governments that uh, control the facial recognition technology anymore. It's many, many private enterprises that have, you know, the facial recognition technology and uh, they have the users by billions, you know, or millions uh, that they can, you know, track. So that is uh, where, you know, I think it's going to be very difficult to regulate this technology and keep the boundaries. And uh, we will have to see how we, the redistribution of the power that is happening because of all these technologies, uh, that how we control the misuse of that, because it's not the governments that are in control anymore. It's, you know, a lot of private enterprises, large corporations, you know, that are controlling these technologies. These are very, very powerful technologies, very disruptive technologies, and the control is with the private corporations. So we'll have to see as we move forward how to, uh, you know, manage these effectively so that we can, or we all can benefit without, you know, much security risk coming our way. So uh, let's talk about the cognitive technologies. It seems they're growing very rapidly. So what trends do you see as you travel across nations of its applications and where it is going? So, you know, cognitive uh, technologies is a big space. What specifically are you are you uh, uh, thinking about here? Virtual reality, augmented reality, where do you think, uh, how do you see it redefining the human CAGS ecosystem? So, um, there's a, again, that's very early. Uh, that's another very early trend. And so, of, of course, it's, it's been, you know, very, very popular in gaming. Um, and, uh, which, by the way, is where a lot of, uh, of really great technologies start. Um, and, uh, yeah, where we may see eventually, you know, uh, uh, evolution of, of, uh, cryptocurrencies to come out of gaming, uh, space, perhaps. Um, but also in, um, in, in training of, of, uh, of uh, individuals, uh, you know, like pilots. So uh, advanced skills workers, uh, I'm seeing. I'm also seeing it in, of all places, uh, uh, travel and tourism. So you can um, make a, a virtual visit to a landmark or a hotel, a new hotel, um, and experience that um, before you get there. Um, so it's being used as a as a sales technique um, for uh, travel and tourism. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been you know uh, engaged for quite some time in uh, things like military um, uh, uh, training and to do um, uh, augmented reality uh, uh, scenarios um, for uh, for fighting. And so I, I'm seeing that as as we've seen in many cases where, you know, like the internet um, and other places that started in the government or the military space is now coming, like space, you know, coming into uh, the commercial uh, side of things. 
Um, so again, it's you know, very early. You know, I don't see it hitting you know really the financial services space uh, very much. Um, but uh, I am also seeing it in like the content uh, area. So mm-hmm. you can experience you know storytelling um, with uh, uh, augmented reality. So um, entertainment um, as uh, you know, kind of a, a byproduct of, uh, of, of gaming is, uh, I see a big spot for augmented reality. Yes, I think gaming and sports and entertainment, those are the areas where we will see a lot of advances. Now, as we see now that, you know, the, the digital order that we had, uh, the connectivity that everyone had across nations, is slowly, you know, getting uh, towards digital disorder because China is, you know, trying to close the door. I mean, they already don't allow the global information flow happening, you know, in their country. They are controlling what information their, you know, citizens can have and cannot have. So they have their own way of controlling the information flow. Russia is also trying to do that. And many other countries are also trying to, you know, follow that, especially the authoritarian countries, because they don't want uh, the free flow of information coming to their citizens and that uh, is very unfortunate but at the same time we are also witnessing the from google's you know solar drones to facebook's uh, solar drone and now you know if we look at the uh, internet satellite system that uh, elon musk is trying to you know uh, have and also facebook is trying to you know achieve that uh, by having those satellite uh, you know constellation of satellites up in the space the goal is to have the internet connectivity available to everyone you know in the world so how do you see this playing out while our technology people you know tech, the, these corporations are doing their best to connect everyone you know irrespective of if they are in very very remote you know rural areas or you know where there are no internet connections available the efforts are that they also can be connected but at the same time, we see the governments are trying to prevent those control, prevent that uh, internet connectivity. So where do you see this uh, uh, battle between the technology companies and the go- authoritarian governments going forward, especially about the connectivity and communication technology? Right. So, I mean, that is uh, uh, an amazingly important uh, topic you bring up because uh, we're seeing now um, some of the unintended consequences of, of, of all of this new technology. And so um, it's not only governments, uh, but also uh, big tech, as you, as you mentioned. You know, the power, uh, sometimes it is perceived that something like the internet distributes its power from the big to the small, from the governments to the individuals. When in fact we're seeing that that's not necessarily the case, that um, having access to the internet is uh, very important and very critical for economic development and, and such. However, as we found in the United States, that um, um, social media um, can be used um, by foreign governments to influence elections. And we've seen that happen in the United States. We've seen that happen in uh, Europe, where um, some of the most educated uh, economies with the most access um, have been 
greatly impacted by bad actors in terms of controlling communication and targeting, micro-targeting communication um, in elections for certain candidates. And so um, I think we uh, might be seeing uh, almost the worst case scenario where we've given unfettered access to everyone, to everything, including a bunch of bad actors who have figured out how to use that um, to spread uh, false facts yes. and influence okay. elections. Sure. I mean, that is one just one aspect. I mean, the, what we have done is when we established the uh, internet, we designed, you know, the cyberspace, uh, we gave anonymity to everyone and everything. So when the data is blind, so unless if somebody sends us cyber missiles or cyber weapons, until we it reaches to our laptops or, you know, our computers, we don't know that what it is and uh, only when we open then we come to know that yes you know that was a cyber bomb or cyber missile and everything is destroyed now so the way the we we have designed internet and we have no security controls anywhere when data enters our country there is nobody checking the data when data goes to the internet service providers nobody checks that and when it comes to us no you know most of the citizens they don't they are not uh, very, you know, familiar in how to protect their computers. And even those who are really familiar and are fluent in their cybersecurity, even they are not secure. So that is just because of the nature of the game, that the way we have designed the architecture of the uh, internet that has uh, given us a lot of great benefits and a lot of huge security risk. And that is the biggest challenge. But the, what these authoritarian countries are doing is preventing the free flow of information. And for them, one of the reasons could be they don't want their citizens to know what is happening in the world because more information they have, it will open up their minds towards, you know, more different ideas that could put their governance structures at threat. And that is what, you know, is probably behind uh, the, you know, all these decisions that are emerging from authoritarian nations because of free mind. If you give anybody an ability to think and give information, then they will think and based on the information they get and they will start asking questions. And in democratic countries like Western countries, you know, asking questions is not a crime. But in authoritarian countries, if you ask questions, that becomes challenging because uh, governments don't want to hear that. So it is a challenge because it has given these are internet is a cyberspace is a dual use, you know, so. Yes, there are a lot of challenges happening, but we'll have to, uh, every country will have to figure out where they want to go. I mean, uh, how much control they want to keep on their citizens. And if you want to really innovate, what kind of freedom you need to give to your citizens? Because uh, without, you know, having freedom in thought, freedom in, you know, ideas, you can, you can only, you know, innovate so much. So these are the big, tough decisions every country's, you know, governments, decision makers will have to make in the coming years. But if we talk about uh, Internet, I mean, Internet in the current form 
is not going to just be that you know in the coming years we will see brain net because of the uh, advances that are happening now you know as we saw with neuralink you know elon musk initiative and you know a lot of other developments happening in the mind uh, you know technologies in the brain uh, you know neuro uh, neurotechnologies that we will be able to communicate you know just brain to brain we can you know upload information also uh, just you know based uh, on how much you know we want to through the e- electrode that is inserted in our brain or uh, you know uh, something that you wear on your brain you know just head i mean there are a lot of developments happening in that space so the internet in the current form is you know going to evolve very rapidly it could go towards brain net also so in the if we establish that then you know the thoughts and emotions and feelings and memories will be able to transmit instantly across the planet so do you see a possibility of brain net uh, uh, replacing internet i mean i see that it's going to happen and it's going to bring us enormous amount of security risk because once we open that channel then anybody will have the power to control uh, a human population anywhere because they can send some you know signal and that mess what they are trying to communicate you know can be uh, to make the humans you know on large scale do what they want to do if we go more forward that but what do you see based on you know how where you are yeah i think you know uh, what you uh, suggest uh you know is that in the the realm of the possible someday perhaps i think you know looking at the much more close term is you know we have to look at the evolution of the internet and of communication systems and you know the thing i'm really excited about um is 5g and so uh that uh takes uh the availability of data the availability of content uh the connectivity to an incredibly high level now there's the question of you know uh is there are there uh uh are there security concerns given uh, who has manufactured much of the 5G equipment um but uh you know i've seen from what i've seen on the 5g that's really what's going to be people are going to open up their 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 christmas presents in in a few in a year or two or three to really see an entirely different experience um in um um based on data based on uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning and um um there'll be a new a whole different set of products as well as capabilities and risks um given what 5G will will bring us yeah 5G is uh, i think we countries are rushing towards 5G we have to be very very cautious and uh, 4G i mean as if we talking only about connectivity 4G also has given connectivity i mean we don't need 5G for connectivity 5G is more important for transfer of large amounts of data like when right. we have the autonomous cars or if we are doing you know ro- robotic surgery or you know remote surgeries using robots those are the fields where we will need uh, 5G but at the same time like the what is the debate right now about who is the manufacturer and uh, that is very important to evaluate because with 5G as you know that you know we are not going to be able to just uh, go ahead with just having one you know trans- antenna or one you know transmission you know channel we will need so many antennas at you know f- every few hundred feet so you are seeing uh, 
to connect everything, you know, in residential area, in business areas, you know, because the millimeter waves, they don't travel for long distance. So we will need so many, so many antennas. And it will, while the health risks are also, you know, in question that what it does, what it does this, you know, 5G uh, to the human health. It is also, you know, in question about what it does to any living thing. We are not just talking about humans, but any life, like, you know, animals, plants, you know, uh, insects, everything. So there are a lot of still unsolved, you know, questions and especially about the manufacturer, because it's not just about any hardware software. It has an algorithm with it, especially with this kind of technology. So uh, whoever, you know, has written the code of the, you know, this technology, we don't, unless we audit that code, we don't know what is what commands are given in that code. So unless we know for sure what is the agenda, what is the purpose, you know, of uh, the algorithm, what it's designed to do, then we are putting ourselves at a huge risk. And these are the questions every country's decision makers need to decide, and especially the United Nations needs to look into all these, you know, different questions. Because if we are, you know, developing uh, technologies with these, you know, with the impact of or such a huge potential and impact, then we need to know what these algorithms are designed to do. And right now we don't have system. We don't have any system that looks into the security risk of any algorithm. It doesn't matter which country the technology is coming from, but we need a system which can uh, evaluate the security risk of each of these algorithms, each of these technologies, and we just don't have that. So what do you think? Do you, do you see United Nations working on any initiative towards that? Well, the United Nations and the global community overall is working on all of these initiatives uh, um, in some degree uh, or another. And so um, the you know, one of the initiatives I'm, I'm involved in is so looking at uh, the legal aspects of uh, data ownership and property ownership and how do you utilize the current legal concepts in you know, the many uh, legal traditions we have in the world um, for things like distributed data, for things like smart contracts. And so um, you know, what happens if uh, two individuals who are utilizing a distributed ledger technology who are who have entered into uh, a smart contract, which may not be a contract legally at all, um, how do you enforce that kind of agreement uh, across borders in a way where traditional third-party uh, middlemen, you know, banks, for example, are no longer involved because it's distributed. Um, so how do you enforce if one party does not uh, uh, perform? Um, and so, you know, there's a whole stew of legal issues uh, before we even get to um, the ones you just mentioned, which are uh, validating um, uh, the algorithms around artificial intelligence and decision making and such. And you know, where is the liability if one of those uh, algorithms does something wrong? And so, you know, what happens if an autonomous vehicle crashes into someone? Um, you know, whose liability is that? Is that the manufacturer? Is the programmer? Is it the purchaser of the vehicle? I mean, there's just a whole um, 
enormous uh, lake of uh, of legal issues uh, to 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 look at. And I think you know the international community is certainly one uh, place, uh, one group of of, of, of entities uh, to look at those as well as individual uh, countries. No, I mean, laws are one thing. Legality is one thing. You know, we will have to, of course, you know, define all those uh, legal, you know, guidelines on, you know, what happens when, you know, autonomous vehicle or anything uh, can, you know, uh, if somebody dies, who is responsible, manufacturer or, you know, so and so, those questions will need to be resolved. But what I'm asking is about the security risk, because these are algorithms that will be controlling everything and if we do not know what the commands are given to the algorithm then we are putting the entire human species at risk because we just don't know what is what those algorithms are designed for who is watching out you know unless you and a lot of this programming happens in local local languages which you know not everybody is familiar with and unless we know what is in the algorithm right now there is democratization of uh, innovation cyberspace this is what cyberspace has given us that you know any individual anyone with just a thousand dollar computer you know is able to uh, create anything that they want to anybody with just a 40 50000 can you know uh, create a lab in their uh, house or basement or wherever and uh, do some gene editing experiments you know create entirely new pathogen if they want to you know just in 40 50000 dollars so these are the kind of challenges we are facing right now because how do we when there is democratization of destruction when anybody has now the power to develop tools that can destroy how are we governing? Our current government models do not fit at all because with the democratization of destruction, how are we going to manage the security is coming our way by just, you know, developing laws? Because once somebody throws, a, develops a pathogen, throws it, you know, in the air or water or, you know, whichever form, then the entire human species could be at risk. And how will we stop it? We don't have the capability at this point. If somebody throws a cyber missile towards a country, we don't have a way to stop it right now. We don't, until it reaches us, we just don't have a way to know. That's why we, the cyber investigation is a huge problem because uh, even right now, countries are not even, uh, you know, cooperating with each other, but at the same time, it becomes too late. You know, the anonymity that cyberspace gives to everyone and everyone is a huge security risk for everyone. Yeah. So uh, there's, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's uh, an enormous uh, uh, topic you just mentioned. And so balancing uh, personal freedoms with government control. So um, one should, of course, you know, have control of very uh powerful technologies as you mentioned uh, patho pathogens and 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 other cyber uh tools uh which should be locked down by uh, you know significant security um and uh, then but the question is so where is the where is the boundary between giving individuals the freedom to utilize uh, new technologies, computing technologies, basic computing technologies, access to the internet, 
access to data and utilizing that to do good versus uh, uh, creating something devastating. And so um, the big question then is uh, who manages that? You know, there's no world government. And so that's in the, uh, in the uh, individual state, individual countries uh, purview to do the right thing and find the balance um, which will probably be different country to country, culture to culture, as to uh, where that balance is between personal freedom and good for, you know, the common good. And so I think that's a, you know, that's a, a question that the ages have been wrestling with uh, whenever a new technology uh, comes around. And I'm I'm afraid I don't have the answer to that. No, I, uh, I mean, no, this is a very complex question and it involves the very fundamentals of how we govern. Because when there is, so far, you know, over the years, whenever, you know, we had to control any technology or uh, monitor if somebody is uh, making anything destructive, it was very easy to just... Uh, track the flow of the money because it, all of these technologies so far, nuclear technology and all others that required large amounts of money and certain chemicals. So we were easily able to track it, that who is developing what. And we were able to, we are able to control it so far. But these emerging technologies that we are talking about, it is impossible to track it. or It's impossible to know who is working on what. And... Uh, this doesn't require much investment. It's a thousand, two thousand dollar investment. Anybody could be working on anything, and and we have given everyone anonymity. So we are. These are very, very complex challenges that human species or any government has ever, you know, faced in their entire existence, you know, of their country. So we'll have governments will have to come together, especially United Nations need to, you know, think about all these bigger questions because. How do we govern democratization of destruction? That is the one question that needs to be discussed and debated. But that's a topic of another discussion. Let's talk about your favorite topic, blockchain for financial services. Where do you see it going? So I'm you know, really excited about where that could uh, possibly go. And again, you know, now is the time for the hard work. So you know, the first, uh, uh, the first uh, few years, uh, blockchain uh, was dominated by the the you know the big app of uh, you know the the killer app of, of Bitcoin, and now that you know the uh, the speculators have come and gone, um, uh, the most of the criminals have come and gone. That uh, now it's time to get down to hard work, and you know you know you're 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 getting to a right place when you go to these conferences, when you go to the blockchain conferences, and they're no longer filled with salespeople. They're filled with operations people and credit people and uh, uh, folks who are you know, understanding the analytics. And so that's where we are now. And so what I'm excited about is that, you know, there's you know, there's a thousand terrible uses for blockchain and distributed ledger technology, but I think there's a bunch of good ones, one of which is supply chain finance and uh, and trade finance. And so that data is distributed all throughout the process, whether it's in ports or on ships. And, and so, and much of it is not, of that data is not digital. And so we're finding 
that people are working on the digitalization of that data, and then they can include that in a much broader uh, uh, distributed ledger technology. And so um, I'm seeing you know, a lot of efforts in Latin America with something like LACChain um, to bring a lot of the unbanked into the system, utilizing um, uh, blockchain and distributed ledger technology. So it's still early days. And um, when paired with artificial intelligence and cloud, you can get some uh, very, very effective um, um, uh, applications of, of blockchain and distributed ledger uh, in combination with those in an area, for example, of digital identity and uh, know your customer, EKYC. You know, I'm seeing some just incredible leaps forward where um, the cost of regulation compliance will go straight down and the effectiveness uh, in places like know your customer and anti-money laundering will skyrocket up utilizing blockchain as well as uh, artificial intelligence. And so I'm excited to be working with a, a number of startups who are doing that exact uh, use case. Yes, that is a very exciting field. And uh, I mean, think about the possibility and potential. If we are able to digitize everything and tag everything with the, you know, uh, UIDs, uh, then it is so the very problem that all, everyone is facing right now about or having problem with the internet is about the, you know, transparency and trust that is not there. Blockchain will be able to provide that because it, let's say, you know, any kind of weapons, as soon as the manufacturers produce any, manufacture any number of weapon, each of them is tagged. And then, you know, enter that, you know, in digitally into the blockchain, then we can track the movement of any gun, any amount, any other weapon that is produced or any raw materials or anything. So this is very exciting. Blockchain is going to give us such a transformative ability if we are able to utilize its full potential. So it will be very interesting to see where this goes and especially, you know, the cryptocurrencies, the we are the money is evolving you know the form of money is evolving now you know the paper money is getting out of the door and digital money and the cryptocurrency are you know entering when deep cryptocurrency we still have to uh, figure out a lot of problems because one thing is you know the security of that once right. wallets right. are not secured you know and uh, uh, there is no way to tie the money how much money I owe or you owe in cryptocurrency or anybody owes, there is no way it's anonymous. So anybody can, you know, hack in and anybody can steal all that money. I was really reading about some uh, Bitcoin, uh, uh, someone, you know, in that field who had traveled to India recently and uh, uh, he, he was found dead. And then, you know, his entire wallet, I'm not sure what the entire story is, but the, it had millions of dollars in that and there is nothing in that. That's what I read somewhere. And there are a lot of cases we are hearing like that where, you know, all the cryptocurrency disappears and then there is no way to track it. So we do need some tracking capability of the cryptocurrency also. So the entirely blind, anonymous, you know, transaction, I don't think it will work for future because the masses, you know, will be at risk. They will lose everything, you know, if they keep it in cryptocurrency format. So the security aspect, I think uh, governments will need to figure out if we want to use cryptocurrency. It's a good format, but we do need to make sure that P2P 
people don't lose out on their you know savings entire life savings and uh, the money just doesn't disappear and goes into wrong hands so that those are the questions we still need to figure out but having said that what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners especially about uh, the initiatives that you are working on the startups that you are working with well so uh, i'm you know very very excited about um the utilization of a number of these di distributed uh, and disruptive technologies uh, particularly in, as you mentioned, financial services, uh, but also in uh, regulatory uh, technology. And so um, regulatory compliance is extremely expensive and extremely cumbersome. Um, and utilizing artificial intelligence, distributed ledger technology, um, and, and other uh, technologies that um, we're now right at the very beginning of seeing... Um, uh, those to start work in a very effective way. And so in areas like anti-money laundering, so you know, what percentage of uh, money laundering is successful and what uh, percentage of money laundering is caught? So according to the United Nations, 1% uh, roughly of uh, money laundering is caught, which means 99% of it is successful. And so... Um, there are a lot of new technologies, particularly around AI, that can be extremely effective in figuring out um, uh, whether it's good money or bad. And so now we're, we're working with my the startups I'm working on um, with a, a large number of regulators um, to figure out how to incorporate those technologies into the regulated uh, uh, sphere so that uh, regulators can get comfortable and um, we can do a much better job in tracking any money laundering. And then with, for example, Know Your Customer, KYC, using a more digitized KYC um, to connect with identities around the world, um, even if they're not you know, a single identity, uh, country identity, to be able to bring in a lot of, of uh unbanked uh, people into the banking system and get them the money, the capital that they need. So I'm very, very excited about uh, a number of those initiatives because they're, you know, they've been being worked on for quite some time. Now they're starting to blossom and it's really super, super exciting. Yes, definitely. It is super exciting. So thank you so much, Bob, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the technology trends, and I'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the technology trends because it will give them some ideas on what initiatives are you know working and what, where they need to focus. And uh, those are you know all very useful uh, information that's very useful information for anyone to have any country to have um, so the discussion that we had today is going to be uh, very very helpful and uh, we thank you for that great thank you very much wonderful bob so risk roundup a global initiative launched by risk group is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace aquaspace geospace and space we at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain 
until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.